historical background from last week. One of the goals of what I'm trying to do during this series is to answer some common questions that I get to hear throughout the series. And one of the questions that people ask me often is, man, it feels like God made all these rules to take away all my fun. Man, when I see the Bible and I see rules and I see all of this stuff, it, it just feels like God is trying to, trying to hold me back from being free, being able to live my life however I want to live my life. And we talked about that last week as we talked about, for example, the Ten Commandments, which when we think about things in the Bible, we think, oh man, the Ten Commandments, those are a list of rules that, that God has given us. And this is what we said when we talked about Ten Commandments. And PK, Kevin Myers, our senior pastor, affirmed this this weekend. That what happens is we pick up in Exodus chapter 20 on the Ten Commandments, starting in verse 3 where the Ten Commandments start, but we don't read what the verses are before that. If you go to chapter 19 and you go to the first part of chapter 20, what we see that the Bible teaches us is is that God is actually telling the Israelites, hey, do you remember that I set you free from Egypt? That I'm the one who set you free. That what I'm about to tell you, you are going to have a tendency to rebel against. And the reason you're going to rebel against it is because you don't like rules because no one likes rules. But you need to understand that these are not for your bondage, but these are for your freedom. See, what had happened is they had been in slavery for 430 years by the Egyptians. They had no rights. They had no life. Whatever the Egyptians told them to do, where they told them to sleep, what they told them to eat, they beat them. They killed their children. I mean, it was a ruthless, ruthless slavery that these people were under. And God came in and God set them free. But they didn't know how to live as free people. All they had known was slavery. And God is saying, hey, listen, I know you don't know how to live. I know you don't know how to have a full life. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you how to live life to the full so that you can get the most out of life that I've designed for you. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. And we talked about last week how these are not absurd things. We understand that that these add to our relationships. These don't take away from them. Like, for example, I mentioned last week that that what adds to your relationships more or less? Does lying take away from your relationships or does it add to it? Well, it, it obviously takes away from it. That you can't be completely transparent and you can't be, you let your guard down around people who are chronic liars who lie all the time. And so, so God says, hey, listen, don't lie. Listen, when you lie, what happens is it breaks down the relationships around you and actually you don't get to live in the freedom in those relationships like you would if you were honest. What about adultery? Does adultery help your marriage get more freedom or less freedom? Less freedom, right? Adultery breaks down marriage. So, hey, hey, listen. God said, hey, listen, people. I know you don't know how to live as free people. I'm going to tell you how to live life to the full. Don't cheat on your wife. It's pretty easy. Pretty self-explanatory. See, these things that God was telling the people of Israel was he was telling them, hey, listen, I, am, I have set you free and I am showing you how to live. And so God is not trying to take away our fun. God's not trying to take away all this stuff. God is trying to give us an opportunity to live life the way he designed it, the full life. As I mentioned last week, even boundaries around things like sex, that God has laid down boundaries around those things, and God created it, and he created it for the context of marriage to be between a man and a woman on their wedding, in their wedding at night, and, and, and throughout their marriage, and, and it's supposed to be enjoyed, and it's also supposed to be for procreation, and that's how God designed it, and that's how he created it, and he put these boundaries around it because he knows that when we step outside of those boundaries, it brings all kinds of baggage into our further relationships and our marriage in the future. 
He knows that it can bring STDs and you can get pregnant. He knows the baggage that comes with that. He knows that when we become a free society sexually and we just do whatever we want to do, it breaks down family and it breaks down marriage and it breaks down the very fabric of the society. And all the research backs that up. We know that to be true. And so God is doing this and saying these things for our protection because he cares about us, for our prosperity, which is what we talked about last week. This week, I want us to jump in to, uh, to a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3. And, and in this passage of Scripture, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down so you can get it right off the top. And, uh, and, and you can write this line down. A relationship with Jesus is the only remedy for rebellion and religion. I'm going to explain that in a minute. I want to walk you through this passage of Scripture, scripture in Philippians chapter 3. It will be up on the screen. We're going to read verses 1 through verses 11. And I want you to check this out. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to come back and hit a few things. Here he goes. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Basically, what he's saying is, hey, listen, I, I, I'm going to write this stuff to you, I, I want, uh, uh, and I've, I've repeated some of this stuff and some of the letters that you've had before. Like, I'm saying some of the same things. And listen, it's for your benefit. I'm telling you these things for your benefit. You're like, man, I've heard, I've heard this before. Someone said this to me before. And he's saying, yeah, I know you've heard this before, but listen, I'm telling you this because you're still not living it. Then he goes on and he says this. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who have the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, listen to this, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want you to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let me explain to you what he's saying here. I want to break this down for you. He starts out, and he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm repeating this to you. I've told you about this, and, and I'm telling you again because this is important. You need to hear this. And then, and then in verse 2, he says somewhere, he says, watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, when he says this, don't think like little fluffy. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't think like little fluffy lap dog. Oh, like, great, he's calling me a dog. That's great. Puppies are cute. I would love to be a dog. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. See, see, in the first century and during this time, dogs were, dogs were nasty and stank. And, and, uh, and they were kind of like, like wild dogs. Like, people didn't have dogs as pets and, like, you know, feed them meals every day. These dogs were scavengers, and because of that, they were pretty aggressive about it. Think stray dog. In fact, if you've ever been on a missions trip before, think that kind of dog, right? 
Like, here's the deal. In most countries around the world, they don't treat dogs the way we treat dogs. In fact, in some countries, they eat them for lunch. You know what I'm saying? Kind of gross. And, uh, but they do. And, uh, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. This is what he's talking about. There's actually uh, scholars debate, and they talk about this, what he's talking about here. And what he's saying is, he's saying, he's, uh, the, uh, during this, the religious people would call people who were far from God, they would call them dogs. And Jesus is using a common term that they knew, and he's saying to them, hey, listen, watch out for people that are in rebellion. Watch out for them. And other scholars say, you know what, he's actually talking to the religious people here, and he is actually calling the religious people dogs, meaning that they are, they are not in the favor of God, that they are actually more like those people, like those unbelieving world, than actually the people that, than, than actually uh, followers of God, like they think that they are. And what he's saying here is, is that there's a, there's a, and as you read through, you see this, there's this idea during this day that, that, uh, that, that Paul is addressing where people were rebellious and where people were religious. And he's saying that it is not about religion and it is not about rebellion, but it's about a relationship. And he goes on and he says this, he says, for it is we who were circumcised and uh, we have served God by his spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus who put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, listen, I have no confidence in myself that I'm putting myself aside, that this world, this culture tells us that it's all about me, but I'm telling you, I have no confidence in myself that I've learned this as I've gotten into a relationship with Christ, though I myself have reason for such confidence. He says, hey, listen, but if anyone could put confidence in the flesh, it's me. If anyone could say that they're good based on their works and what they've done, it's me. He says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's zealous. He persecuted the church. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, this guy was sold out for the cause of what he was going after. And then I love how he closes this in verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, all the fame, all the popularity, all that I became in myself, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It means nothing. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. They're nothing that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Man, that is amazing. Paul's addressing two things here in the world. He's addressing, he's addressing rebellion And he's, re- and he's addressing religion. He's addressing rebellion, and he's addressing religion. And I want to talk just for a few minutes about each one of these and, and how that works in the framework of this. Let's, let's start with rebellion. Let's start with rebellion. Let, let me write this down here so you can see this. Rebellion, rebellion is me plus anything equals everything. Taking notes, you can write this down. Rebellion is me plus anything equals everything. This is rebellion. Rebellion is saying, hey, listen, it is me plus success equals everything. Me plus relationship, me plus friendship, me plus popularity, me plus fame, me plus money, me plus anything equals everything. In fact, you can think of it this way. 
If I was, a, if I, if if you sit around in the in the deepest times when you're just kind of reflecting on life and you think this, if I could only have this, then my life would be whole and my life would be complete. Fill in the blank. If, if I could have this guy in this relationship, if I could have this girl in this relationship, if I could have this amount of money, like my life would be whole and my, my life would be complete. If I could have this type of family, if I could have this type of, for adults, a marriage, then my life would be complete. My life would be whole. That is what rebellion is rooted in. Rebellion is rooted in me plus anything equals everything. And we live in a world that tells us that, tells us that, that, that there are other things out there that can fulfill us, that can complete us, that can make us whole. I love one of the guys who was getting baptized, and in his story he says, listen, like, uh, I wasn't fully complete. My life was not truly filled until I gave my life to Christ. Like, that is the message of Jesus. That is the message of the gospel. But me plus anything equals everything is rebellion. And I talk to students and adults on a regular basis who try to find their significance and acceptance and approval. And I think that rebellion is rooted in acceptance and approval. And so we try to find our acceptance and, and approval in all these different things, right? Like all the things that I just mentioned. I know for me, when I was in high school, for me, I tried to find my acceptance and approval in, in sports, that I thought that, that if I could get enough sport accolades that people would like me or people would accept me or people would approve of me. I thought that if I dated this girl over here that people would accept me and people would approve of me. And the truth is, for you guys, and you guys know what I'm talking about, sometimes guys want to date a girl who's attractive so that their other buddies will be like, dang, bro, you hit the jackpot. Like, we want approval from our boys that our girl looks good. You know what I'm saying? And we look for this acceptance and approval. This is what we do, and we look for this in so many different areas of our life. And so, and so we begin to find our significance in this, our worth in this. And so if we have it, then we feel significant. We feel valued. If we don't have it, then we feel insignificant. Most students that I talk to that are depressed, the reason they are depressed and in this state is because of rebellion. There is something lacking in their life and they are trying to add it to themselves in order to feel like their life could be complete. And that pursuit is futile. It's futile. And that's what Paul's saying here. It'll never add up. It'll never measure up. And I think that I think that what we do is, in order to, and I, I can show you how this fleshes itself out, what we do is we even try to fish for acceptance and approval right? Like I think social media is like a pond to fish for acceptance and approval. I was looking it up and uh, looking up on some, some different social media stuff just to get some, just to get some, uh, uh, to see if I can find some people uh, fishing for acceptance and approval. Let me read a few that I found. Here's one. I hate my new back to school haircut. Anybody with me? Anybody agree with that? You know, he's like, yeah. And uh, I hate my new back to school haircut. They post this on social media. I want you to listen to some of the responses back. Here's one of the responses. You are so pretty, smiley face. It's a girl saying this. It looks great. And then a dude, and then a dude posted, he put, hit me up, girl. <laughs> pretty funny. 
And then sometimes we do this exceptions, and, and it goes a little deeper. It goes a little deeper. This, this, this guy actually posted this. He put, I feel so alone. Man, that's deep. I feel so alone. Listen to the responses. You have me, smiley face. Let's hang out. Give me a call. What about this one? I've seen this one a lot lately. Can you believe that people don't accept me because of blank? Fill in the blank. Can you believe that people don't accept me because of blank? And this is what people write back. Don't listen to them. They're judgmental. They're critical. They're haters. You are special and amazing just the way you are. And so we smile and we feel warm inside with the satisfaction of knowing that people accept us, people support us, people affirm us, and, and that we fit in. That we fit in. Right? That's what acceptance is all about. It's all about fitting in. And acceptance isn't a bad thing. God created us for acceptance and approval. He created us this way. He created us with these desires. The problem is, the danger is, is that when we search for significance, we search for acceptance in anything that is smaller than Jesus. That's when it becomes a danger. That's when it becomes a danger. And what if, what if, just for a minute, what if we got a little below the surface of this conversation? What if... You were never designed to fit into this world. What if you were never designed to fit in? Jesus didn't fit in. He was different. He was unique. There was something about him that polarized people. They loved him or they hated him, yet he was perfect. He was perfect in every way, yet people hated him. What if you weren't meant to fit in? See, I think the Bible teaches us we were not designed to fit in. And what happens is, is that the world begins to accept us for who we are. And that's the line that they, they use is, hey, man, I accept you. You're amazing just the way you are. And, and so you fit in with us. And we begin to get all the warm and fuzzies because the world is accepting us. And God is going, hold on a second. You weren't meant to fit into the world. some hard truth that you need to hear. I was debating on how I was going to handle this or have this conversation with you, but we're going to have it like this. There's some hard truth that you need to hear. You are not amazing just the way you are. In fact, if you were amazing just the way you are, there would be no need for you to have a Savior and Jesus there would be no need for salvation. There would be no need for growth. There would no need, be no need for you to get better. There would be no need, no need for progress in your life. 
And this is what I found. The world, the world wants us to accept the sin and the junk in our life as it just being, this is who I am. And God is going, hey, listen, I love you too much to leave you the way that you are. I have come and sent my son so that he can redeem you, so that he can change you from the inside out, so that you don't have to remain the way that you are, so that I can change you and pour into you, so that I can work in your heart and in your life. Because the truth is, is that apart from Jesus, we find ourselves, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 3, which Romans chapter 3 says this. Romans chapter 3 says this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All, to get, all have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way in the way of peace. They do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It continues on in verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we were perfect and amazing the way we are, then the sacrifice that God made for us through his son Jesus would not have needed to happen. And this is what I found. In our world, in the world that we live in, if you want acceptance for whatever you got going on in your life, this world will accept you. That's just true. This world will accept you. There are lots of people that have accepted detestable evils throughout history. Take Adolf Hitler. Here's a guy who was not only accepted and affirmed, but his ideals led to the genocide of millions of people. Millions of people because this guy's ideals. Because people accept it. Hey, man, accept me for just the way I am. This is who I am. These are my ideals. Accept me. One of the marks on our history and our country, slavery. Millions of people accepted that it was okay to dehumanize people because of the color of their skin. History even shows us even pastors had slaves. This was a non-issue for the Christian church in the South, mostly. Our world will accept all kinds of behaviors and all kinds of detestable things because that's what it does. You know, there are thousands of people that pilgrimage to Syria and Iraq right now who want to shed blood of people who are Christians and Jews and people who are not Sunni Muslims as a part of the Islamic State. Children, women, innocent people being killed. And there are thousands of people flocking there. And we would say, that's wrong. And they would say, hey, accept me for just the way I am. There are people in this world that will accept you no matter what you got going on in your life. I promise you that if you want acceptance for whatever you deal with and struggle with, you will get it. You will get it. And I want to challenge you. 
I want to challenge you to not buy into that lie. Because the world's lying to us. The world is telling us, hey, listen, it's okay. Do what you want to do. Indulge in whatever you want to indulge in. It's okay. Rebellion. Hey, it's all about your life. It's all about that kind of stuff. And what happens is, is that we think that indulging and being rebellious is going to give us freedom because that's what we want more freedom, but it actually gives us more bondage. In fact, our senior pastor talked about that this weekend. I want to show you just a minute and 30 second clip of something that he addressed this weekend and talking about this very issue. Check it out. But, but the real question then is, what is freedom? What is freedom? In the real world. See, my dad bought into the world's definition of freedom. Indulge yourself, whatever you feel like, do it. Is that freedom? What did it get him? What's at the end of that freedom? Three kids as an unprepared father by the age of 20 years old. Ill-equipped. High school dropout, no education. We lived in poverty, on the poverty side of life, throughout my life. He lost his first marriage and first family by the time he hit his 30s. Then he did a live-in. Then he did a second family, and that ended ugly. He earned himself a stint in prison, all in the name of indulge, because you're free. He has no relationship with four of the greatest grandkids, my four kids. My son, Jaden, finally got old enough from moving up in elementary school and now 12 years old to say, do you have a dad? And that's sad. That's freedom, really? That's not freedom. See, the world lied to my dad, and the world's lying to you. That's good. If you think that you can live in rebellion and it's going to lead to freedom, it won't. It'll lead into more bondage. It's what we talked about last week. It's what we open with tonight. And then Paul's also addressing the religious here. He's addressing religion because what is happening is that they're going and they're taking away from what, from what the Scripture was teaching. They're taking away from the message of Jesus that salvation was free and that it was only in Jesus. And so what, what, what religion says is, is that religion says is Christ plus anything equals everything. Christ plus anything equals everything. Christ plus going to church, Christ plus reading your Bible, Christ plus name it. It doesn't matter. Christ plus anything. And what happens to the religious person is, is that it becomes all about their performance for God. It becomes all about their works. It becomes all about who they are. And I want you to watch what happens. In religion, what happens is, is that we begin to look down on other people because we see their behavior and we see our behavior and we think we are high and mighty because we changed our behavior and because their behavior is different. And it's all about what we can do for God that the focus and attention turns around and comes right back on me me and how good I am and how great I am, which literally leads us right back into rebellion. See, because Christ plus anything equals everything, 
Well, Christ plus me equals everything. That's religion. But if you can also do uh, Christ plus me equals rebellion. Me plus anything is rebellion. Me plus Christ is rebellion. And so religion is rebellion. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, listen, you've missed this. You have become rebellious yourself because you've made it all about you and your relationship with God. It's all about your performance. It's all about your works. It's all about what you do. And these people had a hard time with this. That's why they were pushing away so many people that were far from God. This is why people flocked to Jesus. They were curious because Jesus showed grace. The religious people are bringing to Jesus a woman called into adultery saying, we need to stone her. And Jesus is saying, hey, he without sin cast the first stone and lets her go. They were coming with condemnation and Jesus was coming with grace. And that's what religion has a tendency to do. And this is what I want you to see. What I want you to see is, is that is that, is that Christ plus me is less than Christ plus nothing. Christ plus me is less than Christ plus nothing. Because Christ is perfect, Jesus was perfect, and I'm sinful. And so, so Christ plus me is less than Christ plus nothing. Let me give you an example. If, if, uh, where are my football players? Any football players in here? We got some football players in here tonight. Got some back here. All right. Um, so let's say um, I'm not a quarterback, but I played football. And let's say that, that, uh, that here in Georgia, we did a quarterback camp. Quarterbacks from all over the country came here. And Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever lived, is going to be coming in and he's going to do a quarterback clinic for all of the quarterbacks for one hour. And it's Peyton Manning and Derek Idle, me, are going to lead this one-hour session teaching all the high school players in the country quarterbacks how to be a better quarterback. Now, it's an hour-long session. Peyton Manning gets 30 minutes. I get 30 minutes. Does my presence make that quarterback camp less or more? It makes it less. I have nothing to add. I've never been a quarterback. Peyton Manning having one hour with those quarterbacks, it's going to be way more beneficial for those quarterbacks than it would be if I was with Peyton Manning and he had 30 minutes and I had 30 minutes. Christ plus me is less than Jesus plus nothing. And that's so important for us to get and so important for us to understand. That's what religion does. Religion pulls us into this. And I, I say that because, you know, we're going back to school. And we're getting, back, we're getting back into this back-to-school season. And, man, I want to see God do some amazing things in your life and in your heart. And I want to see God do some amazing things in your school. But I know that that starts with you having an authentic relationship with Jesus. That it's not about you being better than everybody else. Because if you portray yourself as better than everybody else, no one's going to come and want to hear about how awesome Jesus is and how he can change your life. Because that's repulsive. And I want to challenge you with that because it happens all the time. I don't go to church because of other Christians. See, the Pharisees, the religious people that Paul's talking to here, these people had made a career out of pointing out people's sin. Paul comes on the scene. He says, hey, hey, chill out. Some of you may have heard this statement before that we are to love the sinner and hate the sin. But I want to switch that around a little bit. I'm going to say it this way. We should love the sinner and hate our own sin. 
The truth is we should hate our own sin more than we hate anyone else's sin. And this is why Christians oftentimes come across as being judgmental. They come across as being judgmental because all they want to do is point out everybody else's faults and they can't see the fact that they have their own. Jesus addresses this. He says, hey, listen, before you go and pull the speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye, why don't you remove the plank from your own eye? And I know that for you to have an impact and an influence in people's lives, it has to come from a place of authenticity, a place that's deeply rooted in nearness to Christ, in nearness to Christ. Every single day, Every single day, one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is I have a conversation with God literally before I get out of bed. And one of the things that I thank God for every day is I thank God for my salvation. I thank him that he saved me, that he rescued me. That I know that apart from him, I can do nothing, as John 15 says. I thank him for that. It is the most meaningful thing in my life. I love what Martin Luther says. Martin Luther said this. He said, he says, I preach myself the gospel every day because I forget it every day. And every day I have to remind myself of what God's done in my life and, and how he's changed me so that every day I can set my life on the trajectory of saying, I want to pursue him. I want to be near to him and I want to impact other people. And this is what Paul would challenge us with. He would say, man, it's not about rebellion. It's not about religion. But it's about a relationship. And relationship is Christ plus nothing equals everything. Christ plus nothing equals everything. It's what he says, I consider it all loss. Now that I've given my life to Christ, now that I've put my trust and faith in him, that everything else that I've gained in my life, I consider it nothing because it is nothing compared to the surpassing, uh, immeasurable amazingness of knowing who God is and having a relationship with Jesus, that Christ plus nothing equals everything. My greatest desire for you students this fall is this, is that you would get so near to Jesus that you would press in so deep that he would be the thing that satisfies your soul more than anything else. That you would not be in this pursuit of trying to fit in in every situation in school and every situation here and every situation with your friends and you compromise over and over and over again in your faith and in your life because you are not fully complete in Christ. I want to challenge you to draw near to him and become fully complete in him because it will change your life. I'm going to close with this. Every day, every day when I get home, I pull in the driveway I park my car, turn the car off, I get out. And as I'm walking to the front door, I start to smile. Like cheesing, like ear to ear. Because I know what is waiting on me inside of the house. And so I go over to the door and I put my key in there and I unlock the door and unlock the deadbolt. And, and, and my little girl can hear me messing with the door coming in and she's upstairs and we got a little like like right as you walk in the front door goes upstairs there's like a little loft area and she's up there in the loft area with all her toys playing and she can hear me rustling in the door and so as I'm opening the door I can hear her upstairs going daddy 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 oh man it melts my heart 
And I open up the door and I can hear upstairs, daddy, daddy, daddy. And my wife, every time I can hear her in the background going, daddy's home. And, uh, and, so, and so the first thing I do is I put all my stuff down. I close the door and I go upstairs. And, and you know, at the top of our stairs, we got a little baby gate, you know, this closed. So our kid doesn't fall down the stairs. And we got the baby gate. And so, and so I like sneak up because a wall kind of goes like this. And then it's like this. And there's the gate. And so I go up and I like peek around the corner. And she's sitting there like just waiting on me like Jesus. And then, and then she does this, and then she does this. As soon as I poke my head around the corner, she starts laughing, and she starts jumping up and down like this. It's amazing. And so I go over, and I reach over the baby gate, and I pick her up. I pick her up, and she kisses me on the face, on the cheek. And I kiss her back, and I hug her, and I kiss her. And then I open the door, and I go over to my, my, where my wife is on the couch, and, and, uh, and, and I kiss my wife. And then we lay there, the three of us, and we cuddle, and Abby just kind of crawls all over us and laughs and, you know, kisses us and plays with us and all this kind of stuff. And I'm telling you right now, there are very few things in the world that could bring a feeling of emotional amazingness like that, like that does. I mean, it's amazing. But let me tell you something. I don't need that. I don't need it. I've been married for five and a half years. I've got an 18-month daughter. I've been a follower of Jesus for 17 years. For 11 and a half years of my life, my time with God was the same. And every day when I would go spend time with God, that is the joy that would come over me. And I don't need, I don't need that from my wife and my daughter to feel loved and to feel complete and to feel like I have value and significance in this world because all the acceptance and approval that I need, I already possess in Christ. And that frees me up to sacrificially love my family the way that God would want me to love my family. And students, I'm here to tell you there is nothing, not one thing in your entire life that can satisfy the deepest depths of your soul like Jesus can. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if you are here and you are like, you know what? To be honest with you, I don't feel like life is great right now. I don't feel like there is everything going down in my life right now. Maybe there's something broken with this. Maybe for you it is you're trying to be the king of your life. You're trying to fit in so hard, and you're trying to add anything that you possibly can to try to fill some need that you feel like you're going to be complete in if you could just get that thing. And maybe for you, maybe you're a follower of Jesus or maybe you're not, but maybe you think you are and you've been around church and, and you're religious and you do all the right things. You do all the right things. But it's all about your performance. It's all about your works. And the truth is you put yourself right here in this place and it's led back to rebellion in your life. You feel like you can never measure up. And the reason is because the only equation that works the only equation that works is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So God, I just want to pray over these students tonight.